I'm so glad that no matter how old or young we are, we can praise the Lord. Amen? And that we can be a part of the family of God. Today we our scripture, Jesus speaking of leaping for joy. And it's not when we might uh, normally expect to be leaping for joy. Leap for joy, Jesus says, even when things are going wrong, even when things aren't going our way, even when things seem to be problematic, as Jesus said, even when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, leap for joy. Don't just be happy, don't just be positive, but leap for joy. That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? That's a pretty high demand that Jesus places upon us. I don't know about you, but usually when things aren't going so well in my life, I don't feel too much like leaping. But that's what we're talking about this morning. Let's go ahead and bow our heads forward of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your children. Thank you for the young people that made this service so special. We just want to dedicate them again to you. We want to pray that you will bless them, that you'll bless their parents, that you'll bless their home, that you'll bless our school. They might be raised to be men and women of faith. They might be raised to be productive and happy, not just in this life, but throughout all eternity. Lord, as we open your word now, we just want to pray that you would be with us, that you will guide us, that you'll teach us through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. story was told of an African king. And the African king loved to go hunting. Now, the king had a particular friend who had this very strange habit. The habit the king's friend had was no matter what happened in life, he would always reply with a, this is good. No matter what happened, no matter what situation he found himself in, he would always say, this is good. And so when they were hunting, sometimes it was a little annoying. You know, the game would get away and the friend would say, this is good. Or when they got their, got their target, they, he would say, this is good. Well, the king sort of put up with it until one day the king the king's friend, one of his jobs when he was hunting with the king was to load his gun, and there was somehow a malfunction, and the gun went off, and it blew off the king's thumb. And his friend said, this is good. The king said, how in the world can this be good? I just lost my thumb. And he got so angry with his friend and his habit that he threw him into prison. Well, time went by, the king's, king's hand healed, he was missing his thumb, but his hand healed, and he went hunting again, except this time, about a year later, this time, he got in the wrong place, and a neighboring tribe of cannibals captured him, and they took him to their village, and they were lighting the fire. And then they recognized, they saw that he was missing a thumb. And because they were superstitious and they wouldn't eat anything that wasn't whole and complete, they had to let the king go. And when they let the king go, the king, what do you think the king thought of? This is good. So he went to his this is good friend and he visited him in jail. He said, I'm going to let you out of prison. I'm so sorry. I've, I've put you here for this year. And what do you think the friend said? This is good. The king said, how can this be good? I've betrayed you as a friend. I've, I've, I've let you suffer here for a whole year. This isn't good. He said, no, this is good. If you hadn't put me in prison, I'd be out hunting with you. And I have both thumbs. You see, my friends, we talk about the power of positive thinking, and there's something to it, isn't there? There's something to positive thinking that allows us to be filled with, with uh, some, some satisfaction and joy even when things aren't going so well. And even from a humanistic point of view, of, of view, we see that there is a benefit to positive thinking, right? There's a benefit to positive thinking. Positive thinking brings its benefits through focusing the attention away from the negative and onto whatever positive that we can find, right? Right? But I want to present to you this morning that there's something even better than the power of positive thinking. And that's the power of faith-filled living. The power of faith-filled living. Faith-filled living is positive thinking on steroids. 
Because faith-filled living is based upon the promises of God's Word. And God's Word is creative. God's Word never fails. God's Word is eternal, and we can count on it. We can depend on it. You see, faith-filled living sees benefits not just in the positive things of life and dwells upon them. Positive, faith-filled living sees benefits also in the challenges of life, also in the problems of life, in the negative experiences, you might say, of life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Amen? We know that. We know this is a promise of God, that all things work together for good. Even the problems we face, even the challenges we face, even the heartaches, God is able to bring something good from it. And that is far surpassing even the benefits of positive thinking. God is able to bring something good from our challenges. Now, we are going to explore this a little bit more this morning. We're going to see what it means what it means to, be ha- to have the power of faith-filled living. First of all, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses here together. Turn with me to James chapter 1, and let's look at what James had to say about the problems of life. James chapter 1, and we're going to read beginning with verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2, and I'm reading from the New King James this morning. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all what? Joy. Sounds similar to what Jesus said, right? Even when we're going through persecution, leap for joy. James says, count it all joy when when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your what? The testing of your faith produces patience. Now, we're going we're to look a little more closely at this as we go on this morning. I want us to, by the time we're finished, I want us to understand that not all problems produce patience. Only the problems that are testing our faith produce patience. Sometimes we go throughout problems without faith-filled living. And then the problems don't really do us that much good. We'll talk about that as we go on. But verse 4, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Aren't you glad for that added promise of wisdom? We need wisdom, especially when we're facing trials, especially when we're facing hard times, to be able to live a faith-filled life so that those problems can bring about positive results in our lives. Turn with me now to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, just a few pages further in the epistles. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. And here we find that Peter is actually only reflecting that which is a theme found throughout the Old Testament as well. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. Peter says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is, why is uh, Peter expecting that the, their faith will be found um, intact at the revelation of Jesus Christ? because they're going through trials, and their faith is being refined and purified as gold is refined in a fire, right? Gold is refined in a fire, not, throughout, not through an easy process, but through a hot process, right? Gold is refined through fire. And that is the theme we find throughout the Old Testament. Well, let's look at a couple verses here. Turn with me to Job chapter 23. Job 23 and uh, verse 10. Job 23 and verse 10. And this is what Job had to say. And I think Job knew something about trials, didn't he? Didn't he? Did Job know something about trials? Absolutely. Job had experienced problems. In fact, as he writes this, or as he speaks these words, he is in the midst of problems. And yet, listen to what he says. Job 23 and verse 10. But he knows, talking about God, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, 
I shall come forth as what? As gold. You see, my friends, if we want to be tested, if we want to be purified, it has to be through some trials along the way, through the fire of difficulties and obstacles and opposition at times. Gold is refined. The gold of our character is refined. Oh, this is something that that is a theme. In fact, look with me to one of the last books of the Old Testament, Zechariah, just before Malachi, next to last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah, and we're going to read in chapter 13 and verse 9. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9. He speaks here of the third, and the third is sort of a code word. It's sort of a symbolized, it's sort of a symbol of God's remnant people. You've heard of the idea of a remnant, right? The third is like a remnant. You find it throughout, especially the minor prophets, but throughout the Old Testament you find this third concept. It's like a remnant concept. The third are the ones who who actually come through the trial. Notice what he says in verse 9, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Do you want to have that kind of an experience with the Lord? Where he says, these are my people, and we say he's our God? That's the kind of experience I want. But how does it happen? It happens with the Lord bringing the third through the fire, through the trials and troubles that sometimes come to our, in our life. Now, I'm not here to tell you that trouble is the problem, that our, trouble and problems are the invention of God. We know that's not true, don't we? We know that trouble is the result of sin. We know that problems and sorrow and heartache are the result of an enemy who's sown bad, fields and go, go, bad seeds in God's good field, right? We know that. We remember that. We're not here trying to put the blame upon God. But I want us to be very clear that when God allows difficulties even to come to those whom He loves, He does it because He has a purpose in bringing them through the fire to refine and to purify them. I remember there was one young person, a friend of mine in college, and she told me one day, oh, the Christian life is so hard, I'm just having so many trials. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like once you start following Jesus that all hell breaks loose? that uh, Satan is so angry, there's all kinds of difficulties and trials. I sometimes feel that way, but I had to remind her. I remember this conversation very vividly. I had to remind her, you know what? People who aren't living with Christ, they have problems too. Right? You see, the difference is not whether we have problems. We live in a fallen world, right? We live in a world where there is heartache, where there is difficulty, where there are obstacles in life. That's the world we live in. The difference is, am I going to face these obstacles? Am I going to endure these heartaches by myself? Or am I going to have an almighty God, a mighty counselor and a wonderful comforter with me as I go through those trials and those troubles? Sometimes as Christians, we forget that we don't have a monopoly on trouble. The world experiences trouble too, and we actually experience it, we can experience it with a peace, though no matter what's going on around us in the world, Jesus is going to carry us through. Jesus has a purpose for what He allows. You see, faith enables us to see purpose in our problems, and this is not just positive thinking. This is claiming the promises of God. God promises us that He will be our God, that we will be His people, that He will refine us as a, as a refiner, purifies silver or gold. He will be responsible. It's very clear. I want to be very clear this morning. Problems don't refine our character, but patiently enduring them through faith will. Did you catch that? Problems by themselves can't refine our characters. Some people go through problems and their reaction to those problems is only forming a character that is more and more unlike the character of Christ, more and more unfit for the society of heaven. Are you with me? It's not that problems by themselves can refine our character. It's our faith-filled response to those problems that enables God to refine and to purify us. And that's what I want to explore with you this morning. Many of the trials, I'm afraid, that have come into my experience have been absolutely wasted. 
from eternity's point of view because I faced them humanly instead of through faith. I reacted to them as my human nature would react to them instead of enduring them patiently through faith. I don't want to waste any more trials. I want to see them as God's workmen for our benefit. But too often, we become angry, impatient, and hurtful as problems arise. Like Naaman. You remember Naaman? As he got to the prophet Elisha's house and Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleansed from your leprosy. That would have been a trial of his of his character, right? To go down and dip in the Jordan River, it would have been humiliating to his pride. He didn't want to do it. In fact, he stood there and he said, aren't the rivers of Damascus, aren't Abaddon and Farpar the rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Can't I wash in them and be clean? And the Bible says that he went away from Elisha's house in a rage. He was furious. Why? He was letting his humanity respond to the obstacles in his path instead of letting faith Cause him to obey the word of God. That's what happened. And so we need to not be like Naaman. The cleansing is found in the submitting. The cleansing is found in the living by faith. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. This is our third part in the series on how to grow spiritually. So, I think this is an important part. If we want to grow by faith, if we want to grow, we need to understand what faith is and how we can exercise it. Amen? Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For in it, let's read verse 16 for context. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the what? The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, notice, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? By faith. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And if we're going to live by faith, we need to understand what faith is and how we can exercise it, right? Unfortunately, there's this mentality too often in the Christian church that says, I want to live by feeling. You're familiar with that idea because it's a human nature idea. I'll do the right thing when I feel like doing the right thing. But that's not what righteousness is about, is it? It's called righteousness by faith for a reason. Because faith and feelings are too often antithetical. They're too often, often opposed to one another. Sometimes we simply don't feel like leaping for joy, right? Sometimes we don't feel like being happy. And here's the difference between faith and reality. I'm serious, faith and feeling. Our feelings are our perceived reality. Perceived reality. Which we have the power to make our actual reality. Are you with me on that? If I wake up feeling grumpy, that's how I feel. It doesn't mean I have to be grumpy, right? But I have the power, through the power of choice that God has given me, to choose to be grumpy and make my feelings a reality. Does that make sense? Our feelings are our perceived reality, which we have the power to make our actual reality. If I wake up one day and I feel like my world is coming to an end, all the problems are mounting and everything is going wrong that can go wrong, and Murphy's Law is prevailing, does that necessarily mean that my world is going to come to an end? No. But I can make decisions based on my feelings and my pessimism and my discouragement that might lead some of those negative things actually to come to pass. Let me give you another example. Suppose I feel that I am too terrible a sinner for Jesus to save me. Does that mean He can't save me? Are our feelings actually reality, friends? No. God's Word is very clear, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's Word is very clear. I need to live by faith. I need to cl claim the promises of God. This is not just positive thinking, friends. This is much more powerful than positive thinking. This is laying hold by faith on the promises of God 
and holding on and, and holding him to his unfailing, omnipotent word. The devil can give us feelings, the seasons, the weather, our diet, our sleep. All can change how we feel. Are you with me? Feelings come and go. But God's word never changes. And he tells us, he tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. He tells us in John 3 and verse 16 that no matter how terrible I may feel about myself, God's love is so great that he would go so far as to give his only begotten son. That's how, that is how far his love reaches. Notice it continues on with the other dimensions of God's love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's how low the love of God reaches. Whosoever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're capable of hearing the voice of God speaking to you and knowing He loves you, God is able to save you. No matter what you feel like. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the height of God's love. You see, my friends, God's Word is what faith places its optimism upon. It's not just ignoring the problems and trying to focus on the positive. It's looking at the problems and realizing that through the problems, God has solutions. Through the problems, God is even working. Through the problems, God is going to do something that is far beyond our wildest imaginations. You see, forget your feelings. Choose to live by faith. If you feel that it is impossible for you to be standing on the sea of glass, begin claiming the promises of God. You may not think that, uh, that you are good enough. I know that I'm not good enough. But that's why we need the promises of God's Word, right? By faith, we can see ourselves standing on the sea of glass. And let me tell you, young people and older people alike, heaven is not going to be some imaginary world where we sit on imaginary clouds and play imaginary harps and eat imaginary food. Heaven is going to be a very real place, a very wonderful place, a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And we're going to be real people with real activities and real enjoyment and real friends and real life throughout all of eternity. And we need to, by faith, be seeing ourselves casting our crowns at Jesus' feet. We need to, by faith, be claiming the promises of God because He said, whosoever. He said, those who come to me, those who come to the Father through me, I will for no reason cast out. We need to claim those promises by faith. And when the days aren't going well, we need to claim those promises. When we feel discouraged, we need to claim those promises because God's Word is powerful and more powerful even than any positive thinking that we can ever experience. You see, my friends, we are not confident in our goodness. We are not confident in our salvation because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And we need to let the eye of our faith imagine ourselves there because we have a Savior. We have chosen to follow a Savior who will never let us down. By God's grace, the day will come when you and I will be walking on the sea of glass. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I'm looking forward to that day. Even if there's some difficulties along the way, I know those are just obstacles that are God allows for, to help us be ready for that day. There's a purpose for the problems. You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me try to illustrate it more clearly to you this way. Suppose, as I've just been talking about, it, it's hard for me to imagine myself standing on the sea of glass. I have to exercise faith. I have to believe only in the Word of God because here I don't see anything that would recommend me to that kind of privilege, right? Right? Suppose I, suppose I have to exercise faith to believe the Word of God and to see myself standing on the sea of glass. Even though I don't feel like it, I trust Him because He is faithful. Now, fast forward, hopefully not very many years, fast forward to the time when you and I will in reality be standing on the sea of glass. Can you imagine it? I can just sort of imagine... 
There's going to be a lot of pinching going on, you know? We're going to be pinching ourselves and trying to figure out, am I dreaming? Is this all just, is it all just sort of a, a mirage? Is this real? And when we come to the realization that it is real and we really are there and that really is Jesus and those really are the angels and these are really the mansions that God has prepared for us, when we come to that reality, when we wake up to actually believe we're, we're, we, we're in heaven by God's grace, how much faith will you need then to believe that you can be saved? How much faith? Zero. Zero. Faith becomes completely overwhelmed with reality. You understand what I'm saying? If you feel it, if somehow it's organic to you and, you and you know it somehow physically, tangibly, or in your feelings, you probably don't need faith to believe it. Are you following? Too often we wait for the reality and then we call it faith. Right? When we, when we feel a certain way, then we think we have lots of faith. But no, it's when we're discouraged, but we're choosing to keep our trust in Jesus. That's when we're strong in faith. When we feel strong, there's no need for faith. You understand what I'm saying? Faith allows us to live with our compass centered on the Word of God, regardless how our feelings may vacillate. Faith enables us to move beyond our feelings. Faith is the modality which enables us to move beyond how we feel to how to experience the will of God in our lives. So suppose I wake up grumpy and grouchy on the wrong side of bed, proverbially speaking. My parents always tried to push our beds against the wall so we couldn't get up on the wrong side of bed. But somehow, you know what I'm talking about, somehow we often wake up and we just feel like we have, we have a chip on our shoulder and the world is our enemy and the first person that crosses our path, we're going to bite their heads off. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever feel that way? Is it just your pastor? Do you feel that way sometimes too? Please, guys, help me. Okay. Suppose that's how we wake up and that's how we're feeling. I know that I can live by faith, Right? I know that I can live by faith, and I can be filled with joy like the children talked about here this morning, right? Like Jesus talked about, even when things are going bad, even when you're being persecuted, leap for joy. When James says, uh, you know, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, so I don't feel that way. What do I need to do? What do I need to exercise? I need to exercise faith, right? And how do I exercise faith? I say, Lord, I choose today to be happy. I don't feel happy, but I'm not going to live. I am not defined by my feelings, which can be changed by what I ate last night or, or, you know, how much the sun's been shining. I'm not going to be defined by my feelings. I choose to live for you. That's called living by faith. And then there's something else you do. You start singing a happy song. Sing a happy song, right? If you can't sing... Well, maybe you can sing and make other people happy. Or maybe you can whistle. Or maybe you can put on some cheerful music. Do something. And by the way, when you feel like biting someone's head off, by faith you're going to smile and you're going to say something kind. That this, listen, friends, I'm serious. This is called righteousness by faith. Am I telling you you're supposed to do it in your own power? Am I telling you this is some sort of a humanist thing, we just make ourselves better? No. I'm saying we give ourselves to God, right? We submit to Him. We allow, we ask Him to give us the power, right? But we're, we're going through our feelings, and our feelings are saying we should live a certain way, but we're going to say, no, I'm going to live by faith. And so you know what is amazing that it happens. If I wake up grouchy, and I wake up grumpy, and I choose to live by faith, and by God's grace I submit to Him and to His will, and I want, to, I want His work to be worked out in my life, when I choose to say kind things instead of grumpy things, when I choose to whistle a tune instead of instead of throwing things or whatever it is. You understand what I'm saying? When I choose to do things that even I don't feel like doing by faith, you know what happens? It's an amazing thing that happens. Before long, you actually start to feel happy. 
You do. You see, you can't control your feelings directly, but indirectly. When you ignore negative feelings and you live by faith, those feelings can be brought by God's grace to be positive feelings. Now, is that a blessing or what? Do you know what I'm talking about? You've experienced this. But this is the key. This is, when I begin feeling happy, and I feel like singing and whistling and saying nice things to people, how much faith do I need to live that way? Now I'm just living by feeling. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't have that feeling. You understand what I'm saying? What I'm trying to underscore is the fact that if we didn't have problems, if we didn't have negative feelings, we wouldn't have opportunities for our faith to grow. So instead of waking up and saying, Lord, have mercy, this is a terrible day, I can't believe, and on and on and on, we need to be saying, I feel terrible, praise God! This is my chance! My faith can be exercised, and when my faith is exercised, it'll grow! You see, God wants to prepare us for greater and greater conquests of faith, amen? He wants us to be walking on mountaintops with Him. He wants us to be able to live by faith every moment but every, every day. But we've got to start somewhere, right? And we start with those areas where He gives us opportunities to live by faith. We should be thankful for those opportunities, thankful for those days. And I think that's why Jesus says, when you're persecuted, leap for joy. When you fall into diverse, various temptation, be joyful, because these are opportunities for your faith to go. If everything always went the way you'd have it to go, if everything was always rosy and sunny and happy and you always felt good, you would have no opportunity to grow your faith. And so Jesus, in His love for us, knowing that the just must live by faith, Jesus gives us daily opportunities to live by faith. The question now comes, what do we do with those opportunities? How we relate to those opportunities determines whether our faith really grows or whether those opportunities are wasted. Are wasted. You see... I believe God wants us to grow spiritually. And in order for us to grow spiritually, we have to learn to live by faith. Faith enables us to see positive things even in our problems. Faith enables us to move beyond our feelings. And faith is activated by surrender. Think about that. I had to think about this for a long time. How am I going to say this? It's not that we can do anything ourselves to make us have faith. The measure of faith is given to every person, right? We're told that. But our faith doesn't do us any good until we begin surrendering our lives to Jesus. And then we can begin experiencing righteousness by faith instead of whatever it is at the time by feelings. That's what is so important. There's no way that I can live by faith by myself, I need to be able to surrender my life to Jesus. Matthew 16 and verse 24 says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his what? Cross and follow me. That's simply su submitting ourselves to Jesus, right? Surrendering ourselves to his heart. Matthew 24 and verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. You know what that word endure means? That word means, it doesn't mean to grit your teeth and be the last one still standing even though you're screaming and mad. Endure, hupomono, the Greek word, it means, it means to bear under a burden patiently. That's what it means. It means to live by faith. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. James said it this way, blessed is the man that endures temptation. There's that word again. You see, you can have trials and respond to them in such a way that you're impatient, your humanity comes out, right? You lash out, you're hurtful, you're angry, you're caustic. That's not enduring, friends. Yes, you survive it, you come out the other end. That's not enduring. Enduring is to bear under whatever God allows to come your way today 
with grace and with patience. Enduring. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. A very similar word is found in Revelation 14, verse 12. Hupamone. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience or endurance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Does God want us to be faith-filled disciples of His today? Yes, He does. God wants us to be faith-filled disciples. This is one of my favorite passages when I talk about what it means to submit my life to Jesus. Sometimes I think of this passage here. It says, Sepsa Christ, page 70, Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be. And she gives us a sample prayer. I memorize this, and many times still while I'm laying in bed, I pray this prayer, and I try to make it the desire of my heart. The prayer is, Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me, and let all my work be wrought in thee. Simple, isn't it? I place myself in the hands of Jesus. I'm submitting to Him. I'm surrendering my life to Him. In other words, we might say I've taken up my cross and I'm following Him. Whatever He allows to come my way, it's His business. It continues, this is a daily matter. Each morning consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to Him to be carried out or given up as His providence shall dictate, shall indicate. Thus, day by day, you may, give, may be giving your life into the hands of God, and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. Is that what you want, friends? More and more after the life of Christ. Are we going to have problems, even if we're followers of the man named Jesus? Yes, we will. But thankfully, we're going to have problems. Because if everything went right... If everything always went well and you never felt, uh, you always felt just the right way, you would never have an opportunity. I would never have an opportunity for our faith to grow. I remember one time I was going to the airport and um, on this particular day I was flying Southwest Airlines and I don't have, well, anyway, there's, there's a, there's a, I hadn't been in the habit of flying Southwest Airlines. I, didn't, I wasn't that familiar with them, and I checked in my bag at the, at the front desk, and um, the agent said, you know, you're, you're just about at the cutoff time for check-in, so, for the bag, so um, your bag might not make it on this flight to Chicago. You might have to claim your bag after the next flight comes to Chicago. I said, well, that's fine. She didn't say anything to me about you know, me being late for the flight. I thought I had plenty of time. So I head up to the gate, and as I get to the gate and I'm checking in at the gate to, to board, she says, uh, I'm sorry, we already closed the flight. I said, I said, what? She said, no, we already closed the flight. I said, how, you have to be here 10 minutes before the flight. And it was nine minutes before the flight. Nine minutes. And I suppose they'd already put my seat, someone in my seat, I don't know, but they would not listen to any reasoning. And they closed the door and the plane left with my bag on it, by the way, but not me. Now, I got myself into a little bit of a huff. I was not a happy camper. No one said anything about, I mean, now I know, this is after September 11, now we know about all the security and getting there early and all the rest. But this was a long time ago, and no one had said anything, and I was just not happy. And I was fuming, and I was venting, and my mom had brought me to the airport, and I don't remember if she came back to pick me up, because so, I was going to be there for a few hours or what, but um, I remember I was venting, and I was fuming, and, and my mom just said something very quiet. She said, Chester, I gave my day to God this morning, and I'm not going to take it back now. You see, when you pray this prayer, you ought to really mean it. And so when things don't, don't go the way you think they should go, allow the Lord to have His way in your life. Submit. That's all it is. Leave your day there. Leave your life in His hands. 
Let him lead you as he sees best. Are there going to be problems? Yes. But the power of faith-filled living sees through these problems, sees beyond these problems, and recognizes that they're opportunities. They're opportunities we dare not let slip away if we want to have our faith grow. How many of us, if we do commit ourselves and our day to God, take it back at the first sign of trouble? Instead, we need to trust Jesus. Let Him make even the troubles and heartaches of this world of sin productive for our eternal good. Amen? He knows what is best for us. Instead of taking our lives out of His hands when things don't go our way, we can turn to Him as a loving friend, and we can trust Him with our very lives. Joseph Scriven was an Irishman, born in the year 1819 in Dublin, Ireland, a graduate of Trinity College. He was a bright young fellow, well-educated, from a good family. Joseph's life seemed to be going well. He fell in love and was engaged to be married. Everything seemed to be going just the way he planned. The evening before the wedding... His fiancée was crossing a bridge. She slipped off her horse and fell into the river and drowned while he watched and was not able to get to her in time. Joseph was heartbroken. And he couldn't stay there in Ireland. There were too many memories that tied his wife or his fiancée to his heart and he left Ireland and went across the Atlantic to Port Hope, Canada. It was a, a rough frontier town where he taught and tutored and eventually fell in love again. But again, tragedy struck. And just before their wedding, his fiancée fell ill of pneumonia. Actually, one account I read was that she really, really felt she needed to be baptized. In the middle of the winter, she was baptized. She wasn't in good health anyway. She got pneumonia, and she died before they were married. Joseph was devastated a second time. So he became a bit of a hermit. He withdrew to himself, and he began to just do things for the less fortunate, the widows and the, um, the shut-ins of this frontier town. He would go around, and he would chop their wood and shovel their snow, and never take any pay. He lived just off of the kindness of others. And um, there was one gentleman there in the town, one businessman, that gave him a little cottage to live in, and that's where he lived. Joseph was all alone in this world. There's only one person that he had constant communication with, one person that he opened his heart to, and that was his mother back in Ireland. And then one day, Joseph got a letter that informed him that his mother's health was failing, that the only person that he had left in this world was not going to live very long. So Joseph, unable to go and visit her back across the Atlantic, wrote a poem for her, and he mailed her this poem. He titled it, Pray Without Ceasing. You may be familiar with the words. Joseph wrote, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms, 
He'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Blessed Savior, Thou hast promised, Thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to Thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. You looking forward to that day, friends? When faith will be swallowed up with reality? We won't need to take things to God in prayer anymore. Today there may be someone here who has a burden on their heart. Maybe a trial you've been going through, a problem you've been going through. Do you want to take it to the Lord in prayer today? And you want to say, Lord, don't take it away from me. Give me your grace and your power to live a faith-filled life even in the midst of my trials, even in the midst of my troubles. Is that your desire? Would you stand with me as we sing this song? What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's see. Let's sing together. The friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged take it to the Lord in prayer can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share Jesus knows our every to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. find a solace there. And the fourth, the last verse. Blessed Savior, Thou hast promised, Thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be unclouded there will be no need for prayer 
rapture, praise, and endless worship. They'll be our sweet portion there. Let us pray. Father, today we thank you for even the trials that come our way. Thank you that they, they lead us to confide and to trust in that wonderful friend, the friend who came and lived a life of obedience, of faithfulness, a friend who understands what heartache and suffering is, a friend who one day we're going to see face to face. Lord, today there is someone here who is suffering under the trials of their faith. I don't know what their difficulty is, Lord. I don't know what their stresses are, but you do. Today I just want to pray that those trials will not be wasted in their lives, but by your grace, through your power, by submitting and surrendering each day their heart to you, they might be more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Lord, I pray that you'll be close to everyone here, each family member, each loved one, each heart that is longing for you. Lord, hasten the day when our faith will no longer be needed, when we can see you face to face, when we don't have to imagine casting our crowns at your feet, but when we can do it with joy in our heart and tears in our eyes and know that we will be one with you throughout the rest of eternity. Oh, Father, help us to grow through the trials that come our way. Help us to leave here by your grace to live by faith today and tomorrow and each day until you come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.